Hi, everybody. This is Arthur Staple. Welcome back to No Sleep Till Belmont, your Islanders podcast from The Athletic. We'll be joined in a few minutes by Jennifer Botterill, MSG analyst for Islanders games and also a very decorated player in her day for Team Canada and Harvard University. But first, we're going to talk about the bit of Islanders news that came about uh, earlier this week. Uh, Ilya Sorokin, the the white whale, as a lot of fans like to call him, the elusive uh, uh, prospect and talented goalie uh, that the Islanders drafted in 2014, who's been plying his trade in the KHL for the last five seasons, has reportedly decided to come to the Islanders. He's been spur- he spurned a contract extension from CSKA Moscow, his team, for the last five years, and uh KHL contracts end on April 30th, so sometime after that, he'll be signing a one-year entry-level deal with the Islanders, and presumably next season, whenever that is, uh, he will be in training camp with the Islanders vying for a spot in net. Um, It's big news. You know, I think uh, we've certainly discussed him a lot on this show before. Uh, I've discussed him on the athletic site quite a bit in in our articles, Um, and there's a reason for it. Uh, You know, I think... Uh, a lot of people that uh, were around the team when Garth Snow drafted him 78th overall were super excited about him. He, he only came over to the North America once in that time, and that was for a prospect camp, I believe, in the summer of 2016. Um, and I think the wait for him to come over was uh, was an anxious one. This was a guy who I think a lot of people felt, Garth Snow included, and a lot of his uh, his scouting staff felt this is a guy who can be a number one goalie in the, in the NHL for a long, long time. And the fact that he's still not yet 25, um, which prime age for goalies, uh, you know, I think there's still lots of time, even though he's been playing as a pro for for quite a while and had tons of success. He won a Gagarin Cup in 2019, the, the KHL equivalent of the Stanley Cup. Never had a goals against average over 1.6 in his five years with CSKA. Um, he doesn't face a lot of shots over there, but uh, but still, this is a guy who is a pro's pro, and and I think there's you can make an argument that he's the best goalie who's not been in the NHL yet uh, around the world. Uh, some people might say, you know, and I think the example uh, across the river with the Rangers of Igor Shosturkin, who is a good friend of Sorokin's, they're about the same age. I think Sorokin is a year older. Shosturkin played for SKA St. Petersburg in the KHL, signed a two-year entry-level deal with the Rangers before this season started, started in the AHL, dominated that league, and came up and was dominating in the NHL when the hiatus came. Uh, And this is a guy who may spell the end of Henrik Lundqvist's career as a Ranger. He's been so good. So um, that is a a promising start. And and Igor Aranko, the the Russian reporter from Sport Express who broke the news about Sorokin, uh, gave some comments to me for a story that I wrote earlier this week. And he said, Sorokin is maybe better than Shesterkin, has, certainly has more high-level experience, different style goalies, but but Sorokin is is technically more sound in, in Igor's opinion. And Igor has been watching them both for a long time. So uh, definitely cause for some excitement, obviously tempered by the fact that we don't know when we're going to have hockey back. Uh, right now, teams can't sign contracts that begin in this season with the hiatus going on. So you can't, you won't see Sorokin in net if the Islanders make some sort of makeshift playoff in the summertime. This is a contract that's going to start next season, 2020-21. And then after that, he'll be a restricted free agent who uh, presumably will sign a long-term deal based on what he does as a rookie. It's, uh, it changes a lot of things for the Islanders, probably for the better. Um, and, uh, and finally he will be a part of the organization and be ready to, to contribute. It's, uh, it could change, change quite a bit for the Islanders who still have had good goaltending the last couple of years, uh, without him, but, uh, but it could get better with him. 
So now we'll move on to uh, our chat with Jennifer Botterill. Uh, very excited to have her here, probably our most special guest we've had on this show. Uh, two-time winner of the Patty Kazmaier Award as top collegiate hockey player when she was at Harvard, three-time Olympic gold medalist, one-time silver medalist for Team Canada, and we're very excited to have her. Jen, thanks so much for joining us. A pleasure. It's nice to connect. Yes, uh, Jen and I both uh, have three kids at home, so this is a this is a nice little half hour break in the middle of the day to to talk hockey, <laughs> or at least have an adult conversation. Right? Sometimes those fall by the wayside. Absolutely, yes. So I'll enjoy <laughs> the privilege of this time. Absolutely. So I just want to start. Um, I think a lot of Islander fans certainly know know you and your your analysis that you provide on TV for the current Islanders team, but. Um, you're uh, you're a pretty decorated player from your day. Uh, the only two-time winner of the Patty Kazmaier Award, three-time Olympic gold medalist, and one-time silver medalist with Team Canada. Lots of international experience. What uh, what was it like? You were, you kind of came of age uh, at the dawn of of women's hockey becoming a, ma- a more major sport. What was that like for you? And what was it like uh, on a national front to to play on those big stages that you did? Mm-hmm. Well, when I reflect back on my playing career, I feel very fortunate uh, for the experiences that I had. And it was a privilege to be part of the, the growth of women's hockey. And, you know, when I had uh, grown up, I grew up in Winnipeg, Manitoba, and had admired mostly um, male hockey players. And whether it was my older brother that played hockey, he played on the world junior team, for our country or you know, the Winnipeg Jets and Temu Solani, who was the rookie sensation in Winnipeg. But then as I got a little bit older, I started to learn more about the opportunities in women's hockey. And when it was announced that women's hockey was going to be a part of the Olympics, that quickly became uh, my ultimate dream and my ultimate goal. And it was a lot of fun to see how much the game grew sort of from the years when I first started playing on the national team in 1998 to when I retired after the Olympics in Vancouver in 2010. Um, And to see firsthand how many girls, you know, signed up at the grassroots level and how much the game improved at the elite level. Uh, So I look back, there were a lot of great moments from competing in world championships uh, to Olympic games, uh, to playing at Harvard University. So uh, I had a lot of a lot of moments that, again, um, I feel very fortunate to have been a part of. And the way that I often describe it now is that not every girl or every female has to play the sport of hockey, but I really love that it's a choice uh, for many now, certainly in North America. Yeah, is there is there a game that that kind of you that stands out to you now that your playing career is a little bit further behind you? Is there one game that you you go back to in your mind often as the as the game? Oh, well, if I had to pick one, like I said, I, I look back very fondly at a lot of different memories, but if I had to pick one game that was probably uh, the ultimate highlight would be the gold medal game at the Olympics in 2010. And uh, it was the, the last Olympics that I competed on uh, to have such widespread support on a national level, to set a record for millions of viewers that watched the game on television. Um, and it was just a, a special point in my career where I felt like I was still improving as a player, contributing to the team, and to have the chance to share that with so many people uh, was very special. So it still brings a smile to my face when I think about that gold medal game in 2010. Yeah, that must have been something to to win it on your home soil too. Uh, 
you know, to have that that last memory. It's uh, it it must be nice to go out on a note like that. Absolutely, and I still when I see pictures or see some video clips from the game, uh, just the the crowd support, and it wasn't just at the hockey venue. You know, it was at different uh, events throughout the Olympic Games that were so well uh, supported in 2010. So when I still look back and see, like I said, the pictures of the video, I still get goosebumps that it was a pretty special game for us. And I, I always describe it too, that it was so much fun. It was a very, a game obviously where we were focused and super intense and competitive, but there was always a moment where I thought back to looking over at my teammates and we all just had a bit of that smile on our faces, you know, to say, this is a pretty sp special place to be that it was, that's the moment that you work for as uh, an elite player in women's hockey to, to play in that gold medal game. And it reminded me of when I first started playing the game of hockey. And my parents had said when I first started, they knew it was special because every time I hit the ice, they told me they could see my smile through my cage. Mm. And I remember looking over my teammates and as intense and as big as the, of a moment um, as it was in Vancouver, I still feel like we enjoyed it um, and sort of had a bit of that smile on our faces at the same time. That's great. Um, and so then your playing career ends. And how did you make the transition to broadcasting? And I guess then one step further, how did you end up Ooh. being part of the Islanders telecast? Yes. Well, I had uh, the opportunity shortly after I retired from my competitive days as, a, as an athlete, I had the opportunity to cover women's hockey um, with some different broadcasting opportunities that came up. So shortly after I announced my retirement, a couple of the, the national broadcasting um, channels in Canada had reached out about the potential of me being involved. And I love the sport and it was a nice way to stay connected to the sport, but in a different capacity and to have the, the chance to share uh, my insight and my perspective and and hopefully you know bring viewers closer to the action closer to the players was something that I was immediately uh, intrigued about and so it um, it was a, a great transition for me to have new things to look forward to after retiring from playing and um, so like I said got involved first with women's hockey had the chance to cover um, the Olympic Games in Sochi where I was covering both uh, women's and men's hockey um, and so that was the first chance that I'd been able to be between the benches for men's hockey at the Olympics. And then a few years later, uh, had the chance to connect with, um, you know, MSG and, and their, uh, the MSG networks. And so that came up about, I said, a year and a half ago, almost two years ago now. And they were looking to add to their, their broadcast team. And I had a great meeting in New York City with the team. Um, I loved their outlook. They seemed keen to provide valuable content to their viewers and to their fans. And I've, I've really enjoyed the experience. Uh, the, the Islanders have been a very professional organization. They've been amazing to deal with in terms of providing um, you know, great insight from both the coaches, the, the leadership, and the players. Um, and NS MSG has just been, again, a, a pleasure to be a part of where the entire team works well together and, and really wants to provide the best content. So it's, um, it's been a lot of fun for me. I really enjoyed it and uh, I'm, I'm excited to continue to improve. Now, I, I always find talking to people who, uh, you know, elite athletes and especially elite hockey players, the ability to, to break down what you see, things that you were able to do 
without a lot of breaking down um, that were quite instinctive as as they became over the years. Obviously, lots of work goes into it, but but the the players who play at the highest level sometimes can't uh, have a little bit more difficulty explaining what they're doing or what they're seeing. Um, was that was that ever an issue for you as you made the transition to broadcasting? Because you could obviously see it, uh, see things unfolding. But is it but is it was it difficult to then say, okay, now I have to make sure not only that I can break this down in in easy to digest language that people mm-hmm. out there who are not players can understand. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's a great comment. I think I wanted to try to make sure that I was as prepared as possible. And I suppose the challenge was yes, just making sure that I could you know, express it in a manner that was most engaging and most interesting for all of the viewers. I I would say that I was um, pleasantly surprised as I did my research and, you know, uh, as I got into the role with MSG and stood between the benches and did the analysis between periods and pregame and postgame, where I did find that I had so many things that I was looking forward to commenting on. And Mm -hmm. in the middle of the game, as a former player, it's just natural to see how the play develops or to um, get excited, I guess, about things that are going well or some areas that could potentially um, be improved upon. And so I guess that part of it was pleasantly surprising to, to think of, of how much I, I found myself wanting to uh, communicate with the viewers. And then the challenging part was to make sure that you could only you know, pick the ones that were the most exciting or the most uh, interesting for the viewers. Uh, so um, that was part of it, but in, and for me, I think going into every game, as with the, the rest of the MSG team, we all try to be as prepared as possible, communicating with each other um, to provide again the best um, value and the best, uh, the, the highest quality of show that we can uh, provide. So I guess that's it's been fun for me. I, I found it pretty natural, um, you know. To, finding things to comment on and then just making sure that you're selective to, to do so in the most exciting and intriguing manner. Yeah. Um, now it, 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 your former teammate and former rival with the USAJ Maletsko does also work with MSG on Islanders telecast and she works with NBC and you guys had the chance to, to be part. Uh, it, it feels like a long time ago now, since it was one of the last hockey th- events that happened was the all women's hockey broadcast that NBC put together. Um, with you in the studio, AJ was on site. Um, what was that like? And I and I imagine that when you are around AJ or Shannon Hogan, who uh, is the studio host for MSG for the Islanders, and everybody, uh, you know, has she's been doing it for a long time and and has mm-hmm. a lot of fans out there. It, it, does it feel natural and and part of it, just a, an everyday part of the telecast now when when you see? only women commenting on a, on a men's hockey game. And, and was that any sort of transition for you? And when it kind of came to that, uh, that special day that NBC put together last month, um, what was that like to be part of? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, thanks for asking. It was a great experience. And it was uh, a bit of a showcase, I guess, for women that are involved in the industry in a way to celebrate International Women's Day last month. And we all enjoyed it. And one of the Perhaps the most powerful messages that I thought came through in the broadcast was um, that it was great that we could all do this together, um, all of us, but it was also the idea that we do this on a regular basis, just in different, um, in different, with different networks. So whether, uh, you know, that we do this on a regular basis, but for all of us to be together in studio 
on site, um, you know, when the with the when AJ and Kendall and Kate Scott were were in covering the game for the Blues and the and the Blackhawks, um, but that this is something Catherine does on a regular basis that AJ and I do with the Islanders and that Kendall Coyne does with with the Sharks. So it was great for all us all of us to come together and do a showcase, but to also encourage females that there are lots of opportunities and choices, and that we all are involved in the sport, um, you know, on a, on a regular basis. And to tie that into the, my comment earlier about, you know, having the choice to play the sport of hockey, I think all of us that were involved on that broadcast team, uh, the all-female broadcast, you know, it wasn't just the on-air talent, you know, it was those that were right. directing and producing and, and behind the cameras as well. And, um, you know, to hopefully, you know, we showcase stories about females involved on, in different aspects of the sport from an administration side, um, to, you know, the example of Cami Granato as an NHL scout for NHL mm-hmm. Seattle. And to hopefully encourage girls and females to say any role should be possible for you, you know, in sport or business, uh, whatever role it is that you're intrigued by, it should be a choice for you. And I think that was something special about the broca- broadcast that day uh, and hopefully provided some encouragement uh, for others that might be intrigued to get involved in different capacities. Sure. And, and you mentioned Cami Granato as a scout. We just saw the news mm-hmm. recently that Florence Schelling uh, was named yes. general manager of SC Bern in the, in the Swiss League. When you see yes. when you see appointments like those players that you played against as well, getting into the administrative side to the highest levels, is that really kind of the last, maybe not the last barrier, but one of the other barriers that, that would be helpful to fall to see women and men um, mm-hmm. mixing together quite naturally in the front offices of NHL teams or pro teams around the league, whether it's women players or male players. Um, how encouraging is that to see as well? Yeah, very exciting. And I was thrilled for, for Florence. And and I, I've known her from my, my playing days and followed her career since. And again, she's a, a talented, exceptional athlete. And a very smart um, business person as well. So I'm thrilled for her. And to see, I mean, those are two great examples of Florence and of Cami Granato who can make that transition. And I know as I was doing my research for that International Women's Day broadcast with NBC that, you know, there were some great comments from Cami Granato too to say, you know what, she found the transition pretty smooth because she does understand the game. And, you know, she sort of laughed because her first reports and scouting reports were so thorough because she had so many things that she (laughs) wanted to to share. But uh, I think similar with Florence that she knows and and understands the game and I'm sure she'll bring incredible value uh, to her new role as well. So I think they're great examples. Uh, There was also a story with Cammie. I know that they had held a you know, a, a Q&A, a question and answer session. And there was a young female that asked her, well, how do you become an NHL scout? And it's just, again, a, a great, um, to be a role model and to sort of set that new standard. And I certainly am hopeful and optimistic that there will be more females in, in these sort of significant roles in, at, at many different levels of the sport of hockey, hopefully, as, as the future continues. Yeah, it's, it's certainly encouraging to see for everybody whether you have daughters or not it's uh, it's yes. it's just a nice um you know it feels it feels very natural i think for everybody mm-hmm. that's a longtime fan of the sport so uh, mm-hmm. it does, it, it's great that it it starts to not matter i'm sure that's a feeling that you have as well yes absolutely and that you know i, I don't want to sound repetitive but i think just that idea of choices right that you yeah. don't have to be involved in the sport but it really should be a, a choice for you as a female and and so i i think it's Again, just uh, tremendous to see people that are coming into these roles and not just being there, but doing really well when you get there, 
right? And and I think yeah. that uh, these people in these various positions, and you see that every day with, you know, with Shannon and AJ and Catherine Tappen and and that, that dive into these roles and, and really excel when you get there. Definitely. Uh, we'll make a quick transition to uh, what you've been analyzing for the last uh, year plus. And obviously, we've been off for quite a while now in this uh, virus-induced hiatus for, for all sports leagues. But um, mm. there was still a season going on. And, uh, and what did you make uh, of the Islanders season kind of, you know, with the fantastic start, uh, a little bit of a lull, some injuries, and then really uh, needing to to bear down these uh, these last yes. few games without much success to try to scrap for a playoff spot, which didn't seem like it was going to be something that was needed when they just got off to such a good start. Yes, and it was a season with uh, far more inconsistency uh, than we had seen uh, the season before. And it was, uh, I guess, interesting to see how the team responded because they they are such a close group uh, knit, a close knit group of, of players that really believing in, in each other and through the sort of the challenges before the league uh, was postponed, uh, they still believed that they could perform really well and earn that playoff spot and be competitive. And that is something that I've, I really believe is so important for teams. As long as you continue to have that belief, um, even though they, again, weren't playing really to their full potential uh, had a lot of injuries to face, but um, you know, Lou would be Lattarillo would be the first to say that they would never want injuries to be an excuse. That that's a, a reality of many teams in the NHL. Uh, but and for them, it was just finding it was hard to find the rhythm um, for for the team. Uh, so I guess those inconsistencies were were sometimes tough for them. And from the season before, Barry Trotz had been such a, a tremendous leader for them that they loved his philosophy. In terms of the way they wanted to play, you know, throughout the season though, I felt like they missed that fourth line mm-hmm. uh, such a, a, a tremendous amount because the sort of the heart and soul that the Sezikis and Clutterbuck and Martin line br- um, brought day in and day out in terms of that heart, in terms of the grit, in terms of the contagious energy um, that that the rest of the lines really seemed to feed off of, and they really had a tough time keeping that line healthy. Um, so, but like I said, I think there are great people um, in that locker room, a great team who believes in their coach. So I think they maintained that positive attitude and always felt like if they continued to be consistent and, and to play the right way, then the results were going to come for them. They they did make some changes too, you know, paying a, a pretty high premium to bring in John Gabriel Pajot from Ottawa. Strangely, he'd been yes. playing well, but they hadn't won a game since he arrived, which was uh, which was strange to see. Um, and now that we're into this pause, um, we've got word this week that Ilya Sorokin, who's kind of their prized goalie prospect, who's been playing yes. in the KHL for the last five years, is uh, prepared to sign whenever that begins. I mean, his contract will begin next season. Do, do you think mm-hmm. that um, some of the some of the tinkering, I guess, that that Lou Lamarillo did uh, and it continues to do into whatever we call this now hiatus off season? Um, are these necessary things? Do you find that they're they're plugging the the right holes, or are there still some things that you see bigger picture that that they need to be able to to be better at going forward? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's a combination of a lot of things, but you always want to make sure that you have you know high quality goaltending. Certainly, with any p- potential playoff runs, that can be so important. Um, but from from Lou to to Barry to the players. Uh, they do still have that collective confidence as a team. You know, they feel very strongly about their leadership with Anders Lee as the captain. 
And, you know, looking, I mean, their, their decor was a little bit of a different dynamic um, as well with injuries on the decor, but they had been so steady and, and Barry Trotz always had such confidence rolling uh, the six defensemen as well. So that was, again, another adjustment. They brought in Andy Green. So as you said, some changes um, that they made, one of the biggest ones was, was probably just find that the consistent offensive output. And so, as you mentioned, you know, bringing in players, uh, but just finding a way for every line to contribute uh, for, for the team. So you just, you know, you can't have one player or just one line playing at their potential, but to find a way to get, you know, all your lines rolling, people contributing offensively, um, that just makes uh, the road a little bit smoother and potentially it's, it's never easy, but if you can find a way to score some goals, you know, you want your team to be strong defensively, but uh, for the Islanders, just finding a little more consistency on their offensive output. Yeah, that uh, consistency is kind of the, it's always the watchword, right? At that level, um, when you're yes. playing that many games, you just have to have to have that same level of effort night in and night out. And they certainly had it last year and, and probably got yes. a little a little fortunate with uh, with okay. some superb goaltending and timely goals. And when the, yes. one of those, you kind of take away one of those blocks, the the Jenga tower can can crumble a little bit. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, we'll see. Uh We'll see where they end up. Now I'm going to ask you to put your uh, your commissioner's hat on. I know uh-huh. we've, you've probably you've probably had a lot of time, like the rest of us. Players, coaches yes. have all seen these proposals, and obviously, um, we don't know when or if the league will be able to restart. And if they do restart, do you think it would be? Um, do would you like to see them if they could continue on with the regular season and then go into a normal 16 team playoff, or do you think this is a time? to kind of experiment a bit because they're not going to have a lot of time. There's going to be um, a lot of eyes on on what pro sports do if they can come back safely. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think this is a time to maybe throw a 24-team tournament in there or even a 31-team tournament? Do you think it's it could be something that uh, is, is a bit out of the ordinary given the out-of-the-ordinary situation we're all going through? Well, well absolutely. And and that's right. The comments that the NHL has made is that they're exploring every different avenue. And because it is a unique, a unique situation that, that no one has been in before, you know, I'd like to, to think that they are looking at those options to say how you can have a different format, um, you know, uh, a condensed version or get more teams involved off the top to, to make it competitive and exciting. And and it's just going to be so different because no one's been on the ice or no one's been playing. So um, I do think it's a chance to potentially explore a different format that might be engaging and exciting for the players, but but many of the fans that are following along. So I certainly think they're exploring every option and it could provide hopefully a lot of excitement for everybody involved and associated with the game. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way that, uh, you know, we're we're not living in normal times and if we can somehow get out of this and have our leisure activities back like pro sports, uh, it would be a good time to just maybe try a little uh, March Madness style tournament yes. in a few regional sites and see see if it works. It uh it certainly feels feels like something more fun would be uh would be would be great right about now. So Absolutely. <laughs> uh well this has been great, Jen. Thank you so much for uh taking some time out. Um to chat with us and uh, break down some Islanders and your your fantastic career. And uh, hopefully we'll hear you 
on MSG sooner rather than later talking about the Islanders and uh, maybe we can have you back when there's hockey again so we can focus a little bit more on uh, <laughs> on what's going on now but again thank you so much and uh, this has been really great all right thanks for the nice discussion Arthur thanks so much all right thanks everybody out there this has been no sleep till Belmont your Islanders podcast from the athletic we'll catch you again next week with another special guest 